0: Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can turn on your phone if you've got one there, or there should be a Bible close by. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, you can raise your hand and, and uh, Perry or, or somebody will, will get you one. And uh, go ahead and turn to Luke 18, which starts, if you're in one of our Bibles, it's on page 971. And let me tell you, look, if you don't have a Bible, or if you've got an old one and you need a new Bible, yours has fallen apart, feel free to take one of our Bibles home with you. This is our gift to you, but we're on page 971 in Luke, starting in chapter 18, verse 1. And uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Nate, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to preach God's Word this morning, so I'm super excited about that. That psalm that we just sang, I feel like we've already had church, you know? it's a, It's just a wonderful, wonderful reminder that you know, you know. Sometimes we come in here and we sing these songs, and you, and you might feel like, man, I, I feel like a hypocrite while I'm singing this song, because I don't really fully believe what I'm singing. Well, sometimes you need to talk to yourself. <laughs> and my soul arise. It, in, in the Psalms, you see David doing that, where he talks to himself and soul. This is what I need to believe. This is what I want to believe. And so sometimes when you come in and you you sing, it is just as real for you to come in and sing, you know what, Lord. I I know that my heart's not fully there, but I want to be there. And so I'm going to sing this song so that my heart would rise and my my soul would rise. And so even as we approach God's Word today, if you've had a miserable week, uh, my hope and my prayer is that your hearts would be reoriented towards Christ and worship Him. Uh, and, And the reality is, living in a broken world... Suffering is a universal experience. It doesn't matter where you grow up or what house you live in or if you live in a house at all or if you're just, it doesn't matter how much you've gone to church, everybody experiences suffering. We live in a broken world. We all feel that brokenness. But here's the thing. Your circumstances ultimately are not what cause you to lose heart in this world. Your circumstances are not what cause you to lose heart. The interpretation of your circumstances are what cause you to lose heart in this world. In today's passage, Jesus is going to teach us through this parable the key to not losing heart. In fact, that's his whole purpose in this, in this parable. And so I want to pray one more time and then we're going to dive into to really the story. And, and listen, this story of, of the, the persistent widow is the parable that we're we're going to be looking at, and often when this parable is te- taught, and what really I've typically, when, I, when I've taught this parable myself, uh, typically the, the lesson is simple, is just pray with perseverance. But as I studied it this week, I realized there's a whole lot more to this passage, and I really want to dive into it. And so let's pray, we're going to look at the, the parable, and then we'll, we'll look at, okay, what was the intent that Jesus had in sharing this parable? All right, bow your heads with me one more time. Father, as we look into your word, like Alex said, I pray that what comes out of my mouth is not just simply my opinions, but it would be your your truth. I pray that you would guard my mouth from sharing anything that's not true. I pray that you would help me to communicate this truth well, that we would see, as we look into your word, we would see, not what we want to see, but we would see your glory in it, and it would cause us, cause our hearts to, and our souls to rise up in a way that we have a, a newfound passion for you, a new found passion for, for your return, that we would believe that, and that would sustain us through the hard times in life. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so if you are struggling today, this parable is for you. He says that right from the very beginning. Look at verse 1. He told them, his disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So there's two characters in this parable. You see the first character, verse 2, this unrighteous judge. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Okay, so this is a description of somebody who is utterly wicked, utterly corrupt, cruel, evil. He had no fear for God. In other words, he had no fear for the law of God, which that's kind of his business, right? The law of God. He made his own law according to his own will. He, he thought his law was better than God's law. He wanted to be the ruler. He didn't care about what God said. He had no interest in the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. <coughs> Excuse me. But he also had no interest in the second commandment, to love your neighbor. Uh, he had no compassion, zero compassion. He had no respect. In uh, fact, that word no respect can be translated as he, had, he was... Had no shame before others. Didn't matter how he treated them. He was shameless. Didn't care what they thought about him. And so Jesus calls him unrighteous. He's an unrighteous judge. And so he, I think a sociopath when I look at this guy. He's got no conscience, no shame. He, he's dishonest. He's corrupt. He's unjust. He could easily be bribed. He was completely and utterly unrighteous. Wicked. In, in fact, he knows it himself. And he seems to be comfortable with it. You didn't notice verse four. He's talking to himself and he says, though, you know what? I I know. I neither fear God nor respect man, and yet because she keeps bothering me. And so the only reason that he's willing to give out thank you. <laughs> the only reason he's willing to give out justice is because this woman keeps bothering him. So he cares very little about God, he cares very little about other people, but he cares a lot about his own comfort. He cares a lot about himself, and that's it. And so he is the the worst possible of all humans. And it's magnified by the fact that he's in this position of power. He's a judge. As a judge, he should have been rendering judgments that went along with God's word and for the good of people. But he has no fear for God. He has no respect for others. And the disciples that were originally listening to this, they probably knew a judge like this. In Jerusalem, they had many, many corrupt, unrighteous judges. In fact, the ancient, uh, ancient writing in, in the Talmud says that they were so corrupt that sometimes, on some occasions, that they would actually pervert justice for one meal, for a small bribe. And so this unrighteous judge encounters this widow. <clears throat> Verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So evidently, this widow had been seriously defrauded. Somebody has taken something from her that belonged to her, that obviously was very important to her, and it, it's caused her some great distress to the point that she's going back and back and back to the judge, begging him for, for justice. And this widow apparently has no other man in her life, no husband, no father, no brother, no brother-in-law, because if she did, that man would have went to court for her. The courts back then belonged to men. Women, the only reason a woman would have went to court is because there's no other man in her life. And so this woman is very much forgotten. She's marginalized. Uh, Nobody really cares about her anymore. And so she encounters this utterly wicked judge. She's alone. She's desperate. She's powerless. She's helpless. Maybe some of you feel like that even right now. Now, it's significant that Jesus uses a widow in this parable. Uh, Widows are mentioned throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was an expectation that God's people took care of of widows to care of their physical needs. Luke mentions widows in the New Testament on several occasions in his gospel here and, in, and also in his book of Acts. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote pure and undefiled religion. What's it look like? Visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And so this judge has zero compassion even for a widow. No fear of God, no respect of others. And yet he still gives her justice. He still gives her justice. Why? Because she wears him out. (laughs) It's her her perseverance, her persistence. Verse 4, for a while he refused, but afterwards he says to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so again, he's the first to admit that he, he has no noble motivation here whatsoever yet because this widow keeps bothering me the greek word is literally she causes me trouble she's irritating me every day day after day she keeps coming back and he believes that she may never stop coming back It reminds me a little bit of, like, Liam, our little (laughs) three-year-old. is very persistent. If you've ever had him in the preschool area, you know. He can be very persistent. When he wants something, he never stops. And so this woman kept coming and coming and coming persistently. And so I will give her, the judge says, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The phrase beat me down in the Greek, I love this. It's a boxing term. It means that... uh, She's going to give me a black eye. Uh, it it uh, means strike someone hard in the eye is literally what it means. And so he's saying that, look, if, I just can't take this anymore. She just keeps beating me up. And so the widow's persistence eventually wears him down. Now, why does Jesus share this parable? Okay, what's the significance of this? What's his intent? Well, you see it right at the very beginning, before the parable, verse 1. It says, uh, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, why would the disciples potentially be losing heart? You've got to think about the context of what's going on here. Jesus has just been teaching. If you go back to chapter 17, remember in the original uh, manuscripts, there were no chapter breaks. Okay? And in fact, the first word of chapter 18 is what? Look down at it. What is it? And. Okay, so there's a direct connection between chapter 17 and chapter 18. So you have to look back to see what the context is here. So why are the disciples potentially going to lose heart? Well, Jesus has been teaching them to be prepared for his second coming. Uh, this conversation actually started back in chapter 17. The Pharisees are asking Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to come? They were expecting this kingdom of God to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, right? And so Jesus says, no, you're actually looking at the, the kingdom right now. I am. I'm the king. The kingdom's here. You're looking at it. And he goes on then, he turns to his disciples, and he says, look, there's going to be a day that you long for the days of the Son of Man. There's going to be a day when I'm going to be physically gone, but you're going to long for my return. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples to live in that already not yet land that we still live in today the the land between his first coming when he inaugurated his kingdom and his second coming when he'll come back to consummate his kingdom he'll come back in glory to judge and so he's saying that look there's going to be a day that you long for me to come back because you're believers and you love me that's what believers do they want christ to come And Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples, look, when I come back, this is what it's going to be like. Everybody will know it. It's going to be evident to everybody. It's going to be like a flash of lightning across the whole sky. You're not going to need Facebook to to find out about me coming back. Everybody will know it. It will be sudden. It will be a surprise for many people that are not looking for it. It will be a time of judgment like the days of Noah. In fact, it will split families and friends. And it will be final. There will be no second chances. And so he was warning his disciples, you need to get your heart right. You need to be prepared for when I come back because I could come back at any moment. And he's saying to them, look, you need to be prepared. And this parable then is a continuation of that same conversation. Jesus is preparing his disciples to live in this already not yet kingdom of God. And he's saying, look, there's going to be difficult days. This is a far cry from the health and wealth gospel that you're going to hear on the TV when you listen to pastors on the TV. He's saying that, look, there's going to be difficult days. There's going to be challenges that you're going to have to face. And he's trying to help them. Look, there's a way for you to not lose heart even in the midst of that. So he shares this parable. And he does it for this reason. He does it so that they would be reminded of the character of God. This is a classic lesser to greater argument. He shares the story of this awful, evil judge to magnify the goodness and the righteousness and the justice of God. And so he's saying, look, uh, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He's saying, Do you hear this unrighteous judge? This evil man hates people, doesn't care about God, and yet he still gave justice. How much more should you trust the goodness and the character of God to give justice to you? Those who Are his elect who have faith to cry out to him day and night. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. First of all, in this parable, Jesus is not teaching that God will give us whatever we want if we just persistently pray enough. Okay? God is not some genie in a lamp, He's not some cosmic vending machine that if we just pray really hard for a car, He'll give it to us. Okay? That's the health and wealth gospel. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. You can't manipulate God. Your faith and your prayers are not some kind of force that manipulates God into giving you whatever your heart desires. God is sovereign. His, he's going to answer prayers as he wills. And so, but here's the thing. When your prayers line up with God's will, man, they're powerful. They are powerful. But how do you know when your prayers line up with his will? This is why it's so important for you to know God's word. I mean, how how do you know God's will apart from reading his word? This is where he shares his promises with us so that we could know him. Uh, David, in the Old Testament, Psalm 37, 4, he put it this way. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So how do you delight in the Lord? You have to get to know, how can you delight in something you don't even know? How can you love something that you don't even know? How can you trust something that you don't even know? You've got to be in the word. And as you grow in your relationship with him by spending time with him, hearing his word, you're going to delight in him and what happens then is your desires become his will. Your, his will matches your desires. And more and more, your prayers will become powerful. Your, the power of your prayers will be limited by how much You know the promises of God. And so how important is it for us to read the Bible? It's so important. God wants you to pray persistently, specifically for the things that he has already promised. And so what is God promising in this parable? That's an important question. We should always ask that question. When we're reading the Bible, we should always ask the question, okay, what is God promising here? Because that's going to guide my prayers. So what is he promising here? Go back to verse 7 again. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Okay, so a couple questions here. First of all, who are the elect? The elect are God's chosen people who trust in him as their savior and follow him as Lord. These are God's adopted children. These are those who have been made into a new creation by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. And so Jesus is not promising justice here for everyone, just for the elect, his children. And so we need to ask the question, what does Jesus mean by, the, by justice here? That's a word that gets thrown out around a whole lot right now. But what does he mean here? Well, the Greek word for justice here can also be translated to avenge. In other words, Jesus is saying, I will repay to those who have done evil to you. I will repay, I will give them exactly what they deserve. Uh, Paul echoes this same thought in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. It says, Since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and the flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so in other words, he's saying that when he returns, he's going to inflict vengeance on who? On those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In other words, on those who have not repented and believed in Jesus. That's the law of the gospel, to repent and believe. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on the day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. I know a lot of people today, they look at the second coming and it's kind of scary. It's a, it's a time where like I, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what's going to happen to me and, what's, and there's a lot of mystery involved with that and not we have to be okay with some mystery we're not going to understand everything i I was talking to my daughter hannah earlier about the book of revelation and uh i I think revelation is intentionally blurry (sighs) okay it's kind of like a uh, if you took art history like monet the impressionist kind of where it's intent you can tell that there's a picture there but it's kind of fuzzy and we're not meant to fully understand it now it'll become clearer though uh, as time progresses and God reveals himself to us in those end days. And so there's some mystery there. But as believers, if Christ coming back is a scary notion for you, I would encourage you spend some more time in the, in the word. Dive into your relationship with the Lord. Because that should be a glorious time for us. That should be a time that we look forward to, that we long for. that we, We're praying. In fact, that's the point of this whole passage. That we would long and we'd be persistently praying for his return. And so in this passage, Paul here in Second Thessalonians he's talking to believers. Paul is saying that, that justice will come to them when Christ comes back. All those who have not obeyed the gospel and have not been declared righteous because of Christ will experience the wrath of God. That God will afflict those who afflicted his children. And this justice will be accomplished ultimately when Christ returns in glory. So when we pray for justice, he's saying, look, pray for my return. Again, remember the context of the, the parable. Okay, Jesus is preparing his disciples to be ready for his second coming. And while they wait for him to return, he doesn't want them to lose heart. And so he encourages them to pray specifically for justice to come quickly. So it's not just a general prayer and be persistent in prayer. It's specifically be persistent in praying for justice and when will justice ultimately come? When Christ comes back. When Christ comes back. Uh, Isaiah prophesied this 600 years before Christ's first coming. Isaiah 9:7 Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then we see in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, when he opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So these are the martyrs. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And, And then he answers. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves have been. I think one of the reasons that we <coughs> here in America often don't look forward to the coming crisis because we've got it so good. You go to the, a majority of the, the rest of the world where there's Christians and they're really being persecuted. I mean, we might be made fun of, but they have to hide so they don't die. And so they're longing for Christ's return. I guarantee they are praying fervently for Christ's return because they look at themselves in this parable as that widow. And there is injustice all around them. And so here's the big idea that I want you to walk away with today. If you get nothing else, get this. God in his infinite wisdom has chosen to accomplish his mission, specifically the mission of him coming In his kingdom, at the consummation of time, when Christ returns and brings justice and righteousness to the whole earth, he has chosen to accomplish that mission where he's going to make everything right through the prayers of his people. He has chosen to accomplish that mission through your prayers, your persistent prayers. And so when the disciples... Ask Jesus, think about this, when they asked him, teach us how to pray, how did Jesus respond? He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, so understand there's a relationship there, our Father in heaven, Abba, hallowed be your name. And he's saying, look, I want your name to be hallowed. I want your name to be treasured above everything else in this world. And then he says what? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. He said, look, I want, he teaches his disciples. How do we pray? This is how you pray. Pray that the kingdom would come. And what happens when the kingdom comes? Justice comes. Everything is made right. Uh, Again, in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so before Christ comes back, The gospel will be spread to all nations, all peoples, and they will respond to it so that in the end, like we read in Revelations, that every tongue, tribe, and nation will bow before Jesus Christ. And so it's significant then, and and we've gone over this, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, what does Jesus say? He says, "...the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest." That our our prayers will accomplish the spreading of the gospel so that Christ will eventually come back. Um, Paul, likewise, frequently asked others to pray for him, specifically that he would be bold in proclaiming the gospel and that doors for the gospel would be open for him. Why? So that the kingdom would come. And so what does praying for justice look like? It looks like the Lord's Prayer. It looks like... Make your name Hollywood in my heart and in this world. It looks like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It looks like Luke chapter, t- uh, chapter 10, verse 2. Raise up leaders, raise up laborers for the harvest. It looks like Paul's request for prayers. Make us bold. Open up doors for the gospel. That's what it looks like. This is the key. I hope you see this. This is really the key. Like if you're struggling right now because life is just overwhelming, you want to know the key to not losing heart? It's to believe without a shadow of the doubt that one day Jesus Christ will come back and make everything right. This is how we persevere through suffering is that you know that the suffering will eventually end. Uh, I can remember, I heard this illustration a while ago, but there was a scientist who uh, and this is, if you're a PETA person, this is not a good story for you, sorry. But they, they uh, took two rats, and he had two buckets of water, and he put the two rats in each one of the buckets of water. And they started the rats, of course, start swimming around in a circle, can't get out. And the, the one rat, for the first few minutes, like every minute, he would pick them up out of the water just for a second and put them back down. Well, what was interesting is that rat that was never touched, was never picked up, ended up drowning after a few minutes. Just lost hope and gave up. But that rat that was picked up a few minutes over the first, or every minute for the first few minutes, it swam for hours because it had hope that potentially the suffering would end. That's how we get through the suffering in this world is because we know and we look forward to and we long for Christ's return when he will bring justice. This is what we need to be reminded of often. This is, we need to remind each other of this. This is why Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, he writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so he's talking about, look, one of, the, one of the hardest things to deal with in this life is when we have friends and family and people that we love that pass away. The grief of losing them is just so difficult. And Paul is saying that, look, when that happens, you, need, you don't need to lose heart. Why? Because if they're believers, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord Therefore, encourage one another with these words because we so easily forget of the glory that awaits us when Christ comes back. And we need to be reminded often of that. That's why it's so important for you to come on Sunday mornings regularly because the world is gonna constantly pull you away from believing the truth that Christ is gonna come back. And that that is a glorious thing. You need to be reminded on a regular basis about what Christ has done for you in the past, and about what Christ will be doing for you in the future. And so we need to remind one another of this hope that we have in Christ, praying with one another, that this justice would come quickly. And some, you, know, you might be wondering, okay, he says it's going to come quickly, but it's been like 2,000 years, right? I mean, what's up with that? Why is he taken so long? Well, God in his infinite wisdom knew that some people might ask that, and actually, in uh, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, he answered that, answers that exact question. He says, <clears throat> this is Peter writing, he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." And so Jesus is not slow to fulfill his promise. His timing is always perfect and merciful. And so at the end of this passage, Jesus asks the question, nevertheless, when the Lord, or when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And my prayer is that when he comes, he will find Mercy Hill faithfully, persistently praying for justice, praying that he would come back. That is our hope. That's what's gonna get you through the difficult times. It's hope that Jesus Christ will one day make everything right. And for all of eternity, you'll get to enjoy him. Not the things that he gives you here now, but you'll get to enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Let's pray that God will help us to believe that. Father, we admit that right now in the world that we live in, it is very difficult sometimes for us to believe wholeheartedly that you're coming back. It's hard for us to believe that that moment will be a glorious moment for those who have trusted in you. We struggle believing that, Lord. And so I plead with you right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would raise up in us You would awaken in us a passion for your return, a desire to see you face to face, a desire to see this world made right, and that for you to be glorified. And I, I pray that you would raise up your church to be bold, to proclaim the good news, that we would see your justice. Now, we would get a glimpse of your justice as the gospel spreads through us for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so if you're a visitor with us, one of the things we do every single week is we celebrate communion. And we do this because we recognize, again, that we need to be reminded of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so I would encourage you, if you are a believer, that you would celebrate this with us. Uh, th- this is a time for us to reflect. It's time to, for us to confess our sins. Don't just walk through the motions here. This is a time for us to, to be reminded of the sacrifice and the blood that was shed for us. The, the bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins that when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty that we deserved. Let us never forget that. Communion is also an opportunity to, to look forward to the future that one day we will celebrate with him communion and a, a huge banquet. It will be a wedding feast. And so we look forward to that day too. So this is a, a time for us to reflect and remember what He's already done and look forward to what He will do in the future. Uh, this is also a time for us to give sacrificially and joyfully so that the mission can continue to be propelled out. This is a time for you if you're not a believer, and God's been working on your heart, and you've come to the point where God's opened the eyes of your heart to, to say, "You know what? I've been in rebellion, and I know that I need Jesus." To save me, and he's opened up the eye, my eyes to see that I need to trust him for that salvation. I need, to li- I need to live for him and follow him no matter what that costs me. I would love to celebrate what God is doing in your, in your heart. If you need prayer, if you want to just uh, talk and tell me what God is doing in your life, I'll be in the back. If you've got questions about salvation or about our church or membership or baptism or anything else, don't leave today until you get those questions answered. We'll hang out as long as we need to. But use this time to just follow God's lead. You come as God is calling you to come.